didn't, you don't, didn't recognize who, who I am. You should have done. <laughs> you should have done. Because there's the whole of the Old Testament that you know that points to my coming, that points to me. You've, and if not, you've seen the miracles that I've done. Even if you didn't, he said, didn't he, on one occasion, even if you don't believe in me, you should surely believe because of the miracles that I do. But they were so blinkered, so blinkered that they did not read or recognize what they should have done. And judgment, therefore, was to come upon that nation of Israel, upon Jerusalem. As we look at this chapter in chapter, look at chapter 21 together, it starts, doesn't it, with this passage with the disciples admiring the temple. This is Herod's, the temple of Herod the Great. It was, a, am told, a wonderful building. Um, he'd re, he'd, you know, obviously, Solomon's temple, as you know, got destroyed when the Jews went into captivity hundreds of years before. Then there'd been a temple built by Zerubbabel, which was nowhere, not quite as good as Solomon's temple, but Herod the Great had determined to make his temple something very special. And so he'd built on top of the, the, the previous temple and created this wonderful building, one of the wonders of the world. The temple itself was 15 stories high. Um, and Josephus, when he writes about this temple, Josephus was a Jew but was a very prominent Roman historian at the time. He said, when you looked at the temple, all you would see was either gold or white marble. It was a glorious building. And so the disciples here in, in the beginning of chapter 21 are, are looking at this. I mean, to them, they probably didn't come to Jerusalem that often. Uh, this obviously was a time of the Passover when people were there from all over the world. There's this, this the great celebration, as, it, as, as we've talked about. And they're, they're saying, just look, look at this, Jesus. Isn't it, isn't it fantastic, this temple? And then Jesus turns and says to them, well, in, in our language, he says, well, actually, it's going to be flattened. It's going to be completely flattened. You know, I can imagine, can you, it'd be a bit like if you were in New York City in September, beginning of September 2001, and you're looking at that beautiful skyline with all those skyscrapers, and most prominent amongst them is the Twin Towers, and somebody says to you, actually, they won't be there next week. You'd say, what? <laughs> what, what, are you, what, are you, what are you, crazy? Well, the, Jesus, the disciples, I don't think, thought Jesus was crazy at all. That's not their, I'm sure their reaction was one of horror and shock. But their response to Jesus is, okay, Jesus, when? When is this going to happen? And what will the signs be? And then we look at Jesus' answer from verse 8 right through, in a sense, to the end of the chapter. Now, let me just say right at the beginning here that this chapter is read in different ways. This chapter is the equivalent of Matthew chapter 24 or Luke 13. They're the three separate accounts, very similar, one or two differences, but similar accounts of what Jesus' answer to that question was. If you were to, if, and I did this just to check, if you were to Google 
Do it when you go home if you want to. Signs of the end of the world or signs of the second coming of Jesus. <clears throat> and look at one or two of the sites. Don't do it now if you've got your... Oh, no, hopefully you haven't got access to the internet. Um, but if you to do that and pick up one or two of those sites that come up, you would, uh, signs of the end of the world, you will, you will see that in many of them, they take verses from this chapter or from the equivalent Matthew 24 as being signs of the end of the age, signs of the coming of Christ. And that's what many Christians believe these passages are about. But I should say that's not all Christians believe that. Some Christians would see this particularly as being the direct answer to the question that they asked, which was, when's this going to happen, the destruction of the temple, and what are the signs that are going to warn us of that terrible event? Um, I will, perhaps I'll share a bit of my own views maybe as we go through, but, um, but just to say that there are different interpretations of that passage, of this passage. And of course the truth is it may be both, by the way, that Jesus does answer directly the question about the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, but that those things in themselves are an echo of what will happen at the end of the world and when Christ returns. So it can be seen in that sort of way. But as we look at this, one thing is it is absolutely important that we don't lose sight of the most important thing. And the most important thing is that Jesus will return. Jesus will return to this earth. And that the, it will be the end of this world as we know it. Again, whether you, what you think in terms of whether it will be a restoration of this earth or whatever, people have different views. But the, the world as we know it today will end. It will be completely different. And Christ will return. And he will dwell with us. He will live with us. We will see his face we will stand before him and there will be a judgment of all things he will bring justice true justice complete justice to this world in which we live and so as we look at perhaps one or two of these things let's not forget the point on which we should all agree and there's a real problem here isn't there if we're honest. You see, if I'd asked you to put up your hands, who believes in the second coming of Jesus Christ? You'd probably all put up your hands. But do I really believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ? Or is it something that I just intellectually give assent to? Do I really believe that he will return and change everything and that I will see him and that I will give account to him for my life for those of us who have put our trust in him and received his forgiveness we will still give an account for those who have not trusted to him they will also give an account there will be very different outcomes to those accounts but that will be true for us all 
You see, and if we believe that, that will change the way that we live, won't it? The way that we live day by day. Change our perspective on life altogether. So let's be encouraged by this passage as we read it through, as we look through it. And may it really speak into our hearts and our lives that Jesus will come. No one knows when that day will be. No one knows when that day will be. In the Matthew 24 passage, it goes on after these verses to say that. Jesus says that to people. No one knows. He said, I don't even know. Here now, as the incarnate Christ, I do not know when that will be. Only the Father knows. But when it, let me tell you this. When it happens, it will be completely unexpected. People will live just like they did in the days of Noah. They will be doing the things that people do all the day, every other day. They'll just be going on with their lives. And just like in the day of Noah, they had no idea. They should have done, but they, they didn't read the signs. They had no idea when the rain starts. They had no idea until then that the, the flood was coming. They just, they just ignored Noah and his preaching and the example of building the ark. And Jesus said, just like that. That's how it will be when the Son of Man comes to earth. My mother died when I was uh, young. So I may have shared this directly with you before Uh, I therefore remember very little of of my mother, my natural mother I've got a stepmother now and whose views by the way on this passage would be very different to mine so I hope she's not listening to when this gets recorded but but I had very few recollections of my my own mom because I was only this big when when she passed away but I have one well I have more than one but this is one of the few there's a day when I was going out the front door and I have no idea where I was going or what I was going to do. It may have just been going to school, I, I don't know. But I recall her saying to me, be careful how you live today because Jesus might come back today. Jesus might come back today. And she believed it. She believed it. And he might come back today. And sometimes, perhaps, as we read some of these signs, people get confused and they say, oh, well, he can't come yet because that hasn't happened. I haven't seen that one yet. Maybe it's not yet. We'll have to wait for that sign and then it will happen. I tell you, if, if we're doing that, we're misreading Scripture. Jesus can return today. Whether he will, I don't know. But one day, there will be a day when that is true. And all will see him. And as we were praying earlier on, many will mourn when they see him. Because they'll realize that they didn't recognize what they should have recognized. But for those of us who know him, we will, that will be a day of great excitement. <laughs> excitement and celebration are inadequate words to describe what it will be like. Let's quickly get on then to this passage, and I haven't got very long, have I? So quickly. So they say, when, when will this happen and what will be the signs? Okay, and here's a list of the signs. So in verse, in, in verse 8, first of all, there will be deceptions. People will come, deceivers will come, imposters will come, saying that I am he, I am the Messiah, or whatever else, saying the end of the world is nigh. Do not believe them. Do not believe them. And in fact, it's interesting how many of these signs you can see uh, answered in Acts, which was also written, of course, by Luke. 
So in Acts, don't we, Gamaliel in Acts chapter 5 talks about two people who've come as imposters, who led people astray, and yet they were imposters. Nothing came of it. Uh, We've got Simon the sorcerer, who was known as the great power in Acts chapter chapter 8. So there were false messiahs in those days. Then verses 9 and 10, he talks about revolutions and armed conflicts and civil wars. Well, this was a time of great upheaval within the world at that time, within the Roman Empire. And there were many, many fighting, many wars going on, many rebellions, even including there was a rebellion in Britain at that time. Um, Luke, by the way, is writing this, we think, about AD 60, so about 25 years after Christ has, has, has risen and ascended. That's when we think, that's when the majority of scholars think this was written. That was a time of great upheaval. There were many, many things going on in our world. In verse 11, it talks about destruction um, and um, from natural disasters. There will be earthquakes, famines and pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. Well, if we're talking, taking this passage literally to apply to the destruction of Jerusalem, there were many earthquakes recorded in those days. Here's a writing by um, um, Darren, Darren lent me a very helpful book that, uh, that deals with this passage. And here's an extract from this. This is, a, this is a writing by a guy called Seneca who wrote in A.D. 58. His epistles, not a Christian, just at one of the, the historians. And this is what he wrote. He said, How often have the cities of Asia and Achaia fallen with one fatal shock? How many cities have been swallowed up in Syria? How many in Macedonia? News has often been brought to us of the demolition of whole cities at once. He's writing at that time. Earthquakes abounded, cities disappearing. Famines, well, we read there were many famines. In Acts 11, we read about a famine, don't we? That covered the whole of Judea. That's why the Christians in Antioch sent their help, uh, food or money or whatever else, to help the Christians in Judea. There was a famine, a serious famine in Rome in A.D. 51, and there were several famines during that time across the the then-known world. Great signs in the heavens. They they interpreted uh, things in the heavens and often linked them to natural disasters. It's interesting that Halley's Comet was first seen in A.D. 66. That was the year that Nero committed suicide. Was that partly because of what he saw in the skies I don't know so there were things there were things going on and then in verse 12 to 17 we have persecution of Christians first of all by fellow Jews because it talks about being delivered to the synagogues and we see that don't we in Acts chapter 4 and chapter 5 the arrest of Peter and John by the Jewish leaders we see Stephen being arrested and martyred talks about then being persecution from governors and kings and we know, see that in Acts, don't we, where Herod imprisons James and kills him. And then he imprisons Peter, but Peter escapes. And then, of course, there's Paul himself and, and others that we could mention. So persecution from Jews, from governors and kings, but it will be right within your own families. Your friends and families will turn against you. They will arrest you. And some of you, he says, will be put to death. 
Some of you will be put to death. All men will hate you because of me. Serious warnings to these to these Christians about what it will be like. And again, some people would interpret that in terms of what it's going to be at the end times. And maybe it would. And there would be many Christians, weren't there, in today's world who'd say, we see these things happening to us. So just to make it, bring it back into our, into our connections. So the other week we were sharing about Young Su, the Korean missionary that we, and family that we support who's working in Egypt. He's arrested because of his connections with the conversion of a, man, of a Muslim man. The Muslim man is put in prison. Young Su has his passport taken away, and he has to attend the local police office on a regular basis, and he's not sure what's going to happen. Why is that happening? It's because he's a Christian. And then we read about Diabak, and we, and we hear about how the, the difficulties that they're in fa- facing. So if you read the news sheet last week about how there are people who are being converted possibly from the Yazidi refugees that they work with, and the, the opposition that they're facing from within their families because they've become Christians. These things are happening all around our world. There are many Christians in many prisons in many countries today because they're Christians. And so they would be able to relate, wouldn't they, in a way that we cannot relate to this passage. We, we've not had our passports taken away from us. Most of us have not suffered persecution from our families. They may, they may laugh at us at times, but we've not suffered persecution from our families because of our beliefs. But we shouldn't be surprised at opposition. We should not be ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I say that, I say that to myself perhaps more than to anybody. Because too often in my life I've been ashamed, to use that word, to be identified. Because by doing so it made me stand out and unpopular or whatever else. Let's not be ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe there will be times coming where things will be more difficult for us in this country, just as it is in so many other places of the world. But Jesus said, although some of you will die, he then makes the strange phrase, he says, not a hair of your head will perish. (laughs) You're going to die, some of you, but you're not going to lose the hair on your head. What's that about? Well, what he's saying, he's not contradicting himself. He's just saying that although some of you will die, you will not suffer real loss, and there will be great gain. Because you, won't, you, you may lose your life here and now, but you will not lose your relationship with me. You will stand before me. I will not leave you or forsake you. You will gain life, eternal life. And then the verses 20 to 24, which, if you like, are the verses that perhaps we specifically... Everyone would agree on this probably that these verses specifically refer to the destruction of Jerusalem. He says, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its destruction is near. Okay, so not many years after Luke wrote this, six years after he wrote this, if it was AD 60, the Jews revolted against the Romans. They said, we have enough. Obviously, the Romans don't take kindly to rebellions, And uh, Vespasian is sent to conquer the area. And very quickly, he conquers most of the area. 
and he lays siege to Jerusalem. There's a time, though, there's a rebellion back in Rome, and so he has to read the Roman troops are withdrawn from Jerusalem for a while. And Jesus says, now, when you see these armies surrounding Jerusalem, listen to what I say and act on it. And you know what they did? He says, if you see the armies, don't go into the city. Now, the natural thing would be to go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a very well because of its location, was a very place that was well defended or could be well defended. But he says, don't go to Jerusalem. If you're outside of Jerusalem, get away. And if you're inside Jerusalem, get out. Do not stay in Jerusalem. And the Christians remembered these words of Jesus. And they did that. History records that the Christians left Jerusalem, those that were in it, and they went to a place called Pella up in the mountains south of Galilee. And that's where they were. And Josephus records that the Christians did not die in Jerusalem. The siege in its entirety lasted for four years. It was a holocaust. It wasn't just pe people being killed by the Romans, but there was civil war with inside Jerusalem within those four years for different parties. Many, many died. They died of hunger. They died. They said, Josephus records that the bodies were piled high in the streets. Nowhere to bury them. They were just rotting there in the streets. It was a terrible place. People were even eating their own children because of the famine. And when finally, after four years, the Romans broke through, they killed virtually thousands of... Josephus records that they were hanging, crucifying 500 people a day. They couldn't find enough crosses to crucify all the people that they wanted to crucify. This was a holocaust. It was terrible. And yet the Christians had remembered what Jesus had said. And they'd left that city. They trusted in his words. And they escaped. They were delivered. And then verses 28 onwards. But this is not going to be the end. Now, this passage, 25 to 28 rather, is the passage that most Christians refer to being signs before the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it does have that phrase in there in verse 27 about the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Because the fall of Jerusalem, although the, the Jews would have thought otherwise, the fall of Jerusalem was not the end of the world. And Jesus makes this quite clear, that the end of the world was not going to be then. There will be an end. There will be a coming of Christ, but it was not going to be then. And he tells them to read the signs, doesn't he? In verse 28, he says, look at the fig tree and all the trees. As I came into my car this morning, I saw that the tree by the side of my drive has started to produce little buds. And Jesus said, when you look at the fig tree, and perhaps probably because the fig trees were there starting to bud as he was talking, he said, look, when you see the buds on the fig tree, you know that summer is coming. When we see the daffodils, the crocuses, whatever else, we say, spring, thank goodness, spring is coming. Look at the signs. And Jesus says, look at the signs. Look at the signs, yes, for the destruction of Jerusalem, but also be aware of the signs of my coming. And don't be weighed down, it's in my translation, it says, with dissipation. Dissipation is how you feel. I'm sure none of you can identify with this. Dissipation is how you feel 
after you've had a night when you've been heavily dr How you feel in the morning after a night of heavy drinking? If you uh, don't nod your head if you understand that. Um, but that's what dissipation is. It means that you've got your head between your knees and you're not feeling particularly good. He said, don't be weighed down with dissipation or drunkenness in, in terms of, you know, when you're drinking, you can have a great time, but you don't really know what's going on if you're really drunk. Or, he said, the anxieties of life. Don't let these things weigh you down. Don't let these things stop you from reading what is happening and believing that I will return, I will come back, because I will. And his coming will involve the whole earth. He said, uh, men will faint from terror, um, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And at that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. For many it's going to come like a trap but that shouldn't be for us. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. That's the promise. That I will come. And if you believe in me, if unlike those Jews that we read about in, in, in Jerusalem, if you will recognize who I am and recognize the times, there will be a day that I will come and you will stand before me. That's the promise for each of us who've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and are found faithful in him. Let's read the signs. Let's look up, not look down. Let's be expectant. There's a well-known Christian leader, a Christian leader who I know, and his wife said, again, I may have said this before, his wife said to me once, she said, um, every, I think she said every morning, every morning when he gets up, he goes to the window and he opens the curtains and he says, is it, is it today, Lord? Is it today? Is this the day of your coming? And that's how we should be. And if we did that, the way we lived that day would be quite different. May that be true for all of us.